My name is Keith. Beers of wait. Espresso. Uh, and I've just downloaded Duolingo again for French because my pronunciations are terrible. Wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network. This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the tasting director of Vine Pair and High. It's time to get communal. We've gotten to the place where we have to talk about those communes that got famous and that are famous. What are they? What's their names? Where are they? What's going on? Let's get into it. have a wonderful sense of the history of Bordeaux. Isn't it great? It's like when you look at Bordeaux before you listen to these episodes, you're like, my God, there's a lot going on there. I don't understand it. I don't know the language. There's a lot of hyphenating and I'm just so confused, but I know these wines are famous. Like how did this all work? Now you know. But In the last episode, we talked about the 1855 classification. And when we talked about that, we were saying things like there was momentum, things were happening, vineyards were being planted, estates were being created, a lot of fun was happening, commerce was happening, competition, all that was happening. But let's drill down on that. Do I say that too much? It doesn't matter. Anyway, there are reasons for the fame. There are reasons why they have their reputations. It's really hard to just give one set of explanations to an entire commune, but there are styles that seem to recur in these communes with the wines that give it a sense of individuality from the other communes surrounding it. And it can be stark and it can be subtle and everywhere in between. I know that's confusing, but once we start talking about these communes and what it's what they're all about, you really kind of get a sense of it. And the 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 sort of mythological sort of shadow of Bordeaux will kind of dissipate. And you'll really get excited about exploring it. It's expensive, but it's exciting. And I've been getting some DMs about the 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 right bank. Don't worry, we're getting to Saint-Emilion Pomerol. Le Lone de Pomerol, that's going to be fun. But right now, let's talk communes. Okay, so if we're talking about the 1855 classification of Bordeaux, where all the famous wines were made, there's a lot of great wine all over Bordeaux, but these were the ones that got the attention of the world through Napoleon III's Universal Expedition in Paris. So two things before I get started. Number one, the 1855 classification was an amazing moment in the history of wine. It established one of the most famous, most reputable wine regions in the world. It gave us a sense of wine aging and what that's all about. But the classification is very old. And just because you are a top producer doesn't mean you always get a good vintage or a easy vintage. It's not always easy making wine. So a lot of these chateau and that I that we're going to talk about throughout history have 
gone through many ownerships, have changed a lot and all kinds of things. So I'm not going to, second thing, I'm not going to list every chateau and every commune from the classification. There's plenty of lists out there online because I want to get through all of these, but I just want to give you a sense of the idea of wine in each commune. And then that's where you can go, okay, well, if I like the wines of what Keith said in Polyak, I'm going to go search for wines in Polyak. And another good thing is there's cooperatives. We'll get into it. Coming in from the Atlantic Ocean across a long polder, which is that word, you know, the land rec reclamation of the Dutch, we get to the northernmost commune of the four famous communes of Bordeaux on the left bank, Saint-Estef. There is almost 3,000 acres of land under vine in Saint-Estef, making it one of the larger communes of the four. Its southern border is literally one stream separating itself from Poyac, which is the next commune we're going to talk about. And actually, Lafitte, which is a first growth in Poyac, has vineyards right up to that stream and actually some holdings in Saint-Estef itself. And here's where the uniqueness begins is, you know, we've talked about this in past episodes. All these famous vineyards are built on these polders. Well, actually in French, they call them croups. So we're going to keep on, we're going to call them croup now, but these outcroppings of gravel and Santa Steph has a ton of gravel and underneath that gravel is some clay. Now there is some sandstone as we get closer to Poyac, but this is primarily the soils of the most famous growths of Santa Steph. And speaking of growth, there are two first growths, two second growths, one third, one fourth, and one fifth growth. But also Santa Steph is very prominent in the Cru Bourgeois classification as well. So these soils are very highly draining soils, like very highly draining soils. It's a lot of gravel. There's some clay underneath there that does retain some water. That's probably better for the Merlot. But the thing is, the Cabernet Sauvignon loves that drainage. The Cabernet Sauvignon does not like wet feet. Merlot's like, I can take a little bit of it. So due to these high draining soils and due to its northern position, this is one of the last communes to harvest. And also... That drainage really helps the style, which I'm going to get to in a second. But also, if there's a low rainfall year, that clay helps as well. And the general style of wines in Saint-Estef, now, again, everything's going to be primarily Cabernet Sauvignon, which is wonderful about that as it expresses itself in different ways throughout these communes. But there is a distinctive sort of general style in Saint-Estef that people talk about. The wines are known to have very deep color, a bunch of extract and they can be kind of austere in their youth, but they can live and evolve for quite some time. And what's really interesting about Santa Steph is for collectors, people that collect Bordeaux and old, old vintages and stuff before the 1980s, the wines were more austere than they are today. Cause after the eighties, there was a general agreement to add more Merlot into the proportions of the blend to soften the edges of Cabernet Sauvignon. So for collectors to collect wines before the 1980s is pretty interesting to see how that Cabernet Sauvignon is doing. Now, you'll know from previous episodes that Bordeaux can blend more than just these two varieties. But the thing is, Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot are so 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 defining in the blends that I'm going to concentrate mostly on those two varieties. But just for a reminder, Cabernet Franc, 
Petit Verdot, and sometimes Carmenere can be blended into these wines. Okay, and sometimes Malbec. So Santa Steph, when you're at a, if you ever go to a big Bordeaux tasting, what you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm going over to Santa Steph. Oh my God, my palate is not ready because they can be austere. And yes, these wines can be expensive, except for the Cru Bourgeois classification, which runs about 30, 40 bucks. And if you find them out there, go grab them. They're awesome. But there's also a co-op here because it's such a large wine region. And sometimes you can grab a bottle of Marquis de Santa Steph and it's not going to be very expensive at all and still have that vibe of Santa Steph. As we hit the southern border of Santa Steph, we cross that little stream. We head into Pauillac. Wine lovers, this commune, when people think about Bordeaux, the famous stuff, like when people say things like cigar box, pencil shavings, black courant, or cassis, this is what they're talking about. Now, all those things I just rattled off, you can find in all of the Bordeaux and all the communes, but it's here that they have kind of been defined. And I say this because this is the commune. Well, it's the largest. It's 300, 300 acres under vine. It is home to three first growths, Lafitte, Latour, and Molton Rothschild. And the fame of these particular chateaux brought to the American market, I think is, this is how we define Bordeaux. This is the deep, full-bodied red wine that I believe Meritage wines in California were trying to emulate. In the Oxford Wine Companion, Jedi wine master Jansen Robinson says of Poyac, this is cab country, par excellence, meaning we say Napa's cab country because it is. This is a whole this is a whole region with cab all over the place, and they consider this cab country. Polyak has the highest elevation of all the other communes. It's where the croups get up to about, wait for it, 100 feet above sea level. Not a lot, but the highest in Bordeaux. And the vineyards are almost a continuous piece of land that is separated by the Gironde estuary, I think I said it right this time, by about 900 feet or so. And this elevated, continuous piece of land runs for about three miles long, about two miles wide. It's actually not 100% contiguous because there is a river that runs through the middle and separates a northern and a southern part. But as far as the vineyards are concerned, they're all elevated and continuous contiguous. You know, the northern section of this contiguous land of vines is, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this. It's a plateau they called Le Poilet. And this is where Lafitte and Moton Rothschild are. It's where the hundred is where we get to the hundred feet above sea level. And it all starts going down from there. As we get all the way to the southern part of Poyac, this is where we see Latour. Gravel, 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 there's so much gravel here. That is the word for the soil of Poyak. Just gravel. There's other stuff in there, but it's the gravel that does the work. Because of the high elevation of this croup, the rainwater just drains right through these gravelly mounds into the Giron. There are three first growths, which I've mentioned. There are two second growths, and there are 12 fourth growths. They are all highly respected and have achieved their own fame in their own right. You see, 
all these communes, they, they have these growth, these first through fifth growths in them. And they're all kind of, if you're among that, that sort of legacy of winemaking, everyone's going to be very competitive. Everyone's going to try to make the best of the best. And it's so interesting to see how all these chateaux, I'm just doing my own thing, but what are you doing? The style here. So if Santa Steph is austere, deeply colored and long lived, Polyak is that as well. But the words that you read, when you read about Polyak wine, you read words like majestic, long aged, leather, truffle, smoke. These, this, these are the Bordeaux that give you the depth Every Bordeaux is going to have a like a structure, but these aren't as austere as Santa Steph and the, the Polyak. There's, and we're going to talk about other communes, and everyone every commune has its fame, and it's it's you know everyone loves all the communes, but this one here seems to be the one that people just lose their minds over. I've had Polyak before. I haven't had all of them. I've had some of them, and what I have had are absolutely amazing. I've also had Santa Steph, and they were very good too. But I did get that austerity when I was drinking it. Polyak has a depth to it in a layering to it that you can't find in Santa Steph. South of Poyac, we go to Saint-Julien. Oh, Saint-Julien. Now, this is a commune that has no first growth. It does have five second growths, two third growths, and four fourth growths. And also, Latour does have some vineyard holdings in Saint-Julien. This is the smallest of the four appellations, coming in at about 2,200 or so acres under vine. And it's actually Saint-Julien-Bechevelle, which is a town neighboring it to the south. It's kind of all part of it. And this is where things get interesting. This is a kind of more of a hinterland commune, meaning it doesn't go right up to the estuary. But the thing about this place is it has a bunch of gravel because of that land reclamation. And just basic alluvial soil because when the Dutch did their thing, they just dragged the, the gravel up from the, the river onto land. And that gravel is from a like millions of years ago glacier that separated this place from the rest of Europe. And all this deposit is what they use to put on top. So as we get further South um, in these communes, the croups become a little bit lower and they start mixing with whatever was there before that. So in, in this area, in Saint-Julien, there is gravel, but there are subsoils of clay, limestone, and something called hard pan. Hard pan is like, imagine clay that doesn't crack and water cannot permeate it. That's hard pan. I mean, it can eventually. It's basically sedimentary rock. And what happens here is this diversity of soil composition derives a general style that I'm just going to say it. It gives people an idea of what old school Bordeaux once was now like Claret, but it's not like the old school stuff where they just put it all together and blend it and grew it all together. No, not that light, light, light stuff. What it is, is compared to the Northern communes, the wines of Saint-Julien are still Cabernet Sauvignon-based. They're still structured. They still age for a long time, but they're more perfumed. They don't have the austerity of Santa Steph or the deep concentration of Poyac, 
but they are deeply colored. They are long lived. They just have a little more subtlety to them. See how this is going? It's kind of cool, right? Each of these communes have different styles, but you can tell by their position and the soil composition of how they're starting to turn out. And we're noticing we're going from austerity to deep, and now we're getting into sort of like a more perfumed. It's pretty awesome, because next we're going to talk about Morgo. The southern border of Saint-Julien, there is a big swath of land considered Omedoc AOC, that larger Omedoc appellation. But south of that swath is Margot. Now, Margot can be a little confusing because there is a Chateau Margot, a first growth, and it takes the name of the commune. So that's a little confusing. But Margot is actually a commune. And it is not your typical, well, it's just different than the other, than the other four because it's much more extensive and the vineyards are much more um, separated. They're not contiguous. They have parcels throughout the AOC, and it actually involves three other communes as part of the whole AOC. Contenac, Suissance, Labard, and Arsac. Not sure if I'm pronouncing them correctly, as always. So within the Appalachian, you got limestone, you got chalk, you got clay, you got sand, and then there's some of these outcroppings as well of the croups, so you still have that gravel, and that actually dominates, but then you have all these other soils that are available because of the, you know, not sporadic, but like the, the, the non-continuous parcels that people draw from throughout the AOC to make wine. And where Santa Steph is the latest harvest for all of these four communes. Margot is the earliest to ripen and the earliest to harvest. And because of its southerly, well, how do I say this? Because of it's in the south and because it's so parceled, the blends are a little bit different. And one of the things that we hear when we hear Margot are words like seductive, perfumed, silky texture. It's also been noted that where all the other communes have this beautiful, deep, dark color, the wines of Margot tend to be more ruby in color, which kind of makes sense considering the climate and the soils and all that. Not all of them, but that's the general consensus because there's so many winemakers around here. And speaking of winemakers, this Margot has one first growth, Chateau Margot, five second growths, 10 third growths, four third growths, and two fifth growths, totaling 21 class growths, the most that you have in all the communes, all four communes. So there you have it, wine lovers. This is kind of like, I mean, do you, are you, are you excited? I'm excited because you guys know so much about Bordeaux. It's ridiculous. Now, you know, to go to all the communes you want, there's a whole bunch of different growths that have all different price points. There's Cru Bourgeois around here. They're all utilizing the same kind of soils, except for Margot. It's very not contiguous, but you got to get a sense of this. The thing about Bordeaux, it's very interesting. Like I said in an earlier episode, these are not monks that built this. This is business and competition that built this. It's, it's very interesting that Bordeaux is such an... Well, like Napa was very influenced by Bordeaux. And if you think about it, Napa built itself on the same, kind of in the same way Bordeaux did through competition. It's just, it's, it's just wild. And 
through that consistency and competition, we have one of the largest fine wine regions in the world here. So just because you can't afford a first through fifth growth doesn't mean you can't enjoy left bank Bordeaux, red, mostly. They're, they're all over the place. And the Cru Bourgeois classification will help you enjoy the terroirs, if you will, senses of place of these communes through that as well. I did not mention Aubryon, but I should because it's not really part of the four communes. Aubryon is down in the Grave district, which is now in 1987, they split that up and it was Grave and Pesec Leonion. But I didn't mention Aubryon just because they're the OG. I mean, they're the OG of all this stuff. They're the ones that like, they built the tavern in London and got this thing going. So I thought I'd just bring that up now. But okay, so that's it. You got your four communes and don't worry, we're getting to the right bank. We'll talk next week. Fine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week.